listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect, a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice. And now, here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri. Hey, I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Dr. Lara Bobalt. I'll tell you what, I'm excited about hearing more on this specific subject and endometrial uh, cancer. So uh, introduce yourself to the the uh, listeners, Laura, and uh, I have questions I need to jump into. You got it. Thank you so much, Todd. So happy to be here with you today. My name is Laura Bobaltz. I'm the SVP of Clinical Strategy and Growth at Onco Health. All right. So let's jump into this. I want to preface to the listeners, there is um, show notes information. Um, you can go back through your podcast uh, notes that we'll have there for you as well. But let's jump into, um, you know, the role of the biomarkers in guiding treatment, um, novel therapies, what what treatments are available for the first line management of endometrial carcinoma? You got it. So today we're going to talk about metastatic endometrial carcinoma. And endometrial carcinoma in general is the most common gynecologic malignancy in the United States. And when we're talking about metastatic disease, that's when the cancer is spread to distant organs. We also treat recurrent endometrial carcinoma the same. So unfortunately, our goal of care here is palliation to improve the quality of life of the patient. And if we can prolong their survival, do so. So our first line treatment of metastatic endometrial carcinoma typically consists of chemotherapy. You might be saying, oh no, the dinosaur, but actually chemotherapy works really good in this setting. And we typically utilize platinum-based chemotherapy. Most common regimen is carboplatin plus paclitaxel. We do look at biomarkers, which we'll talk about in a bit, but in the first line setting, if the patient has serous carcinoma, and they are HER2 positive, we do add trastuzumab to the carboplatin and paclitaxel chemotherapy. Now there are additional chemotherapeutic options, but that is the most common one that we see used. All right, so you mentioned the biomarkers. Let's um, unpack that a little bit more. What biomarkers are you looking for when evaluating that, that appropriate treatment for the patient specifically um, for the metastatic endometrial cancer. It's, I guess it's really, it's what's next in, in how you're planning treatment. Exactly. So the biomarkers are key today to individualizing treatment for a cancer patient. So you might've heard of the era of precision medicine. Well, we are in it in oncology. So in general, as an oncology pharmacist, trying to develop treatment plans and on the managed care side, trying to evaluate if the treatment plans are supported and best fit for that cancer patient from an insurance coverage standpoint, I'm thinking, what biomarkers do I need to look for to see what targeted therapeutics are an option for a patient with metastatic endometrial carcinoma? So the number one thing I'm looking for is that patient's tumor MSI high or DMMR. 
So MSI high is microsatellite stable, microsatellite instability high. Gotta love that. And DMMR is a patient that's deficient in mismatch repair gene. So that's a long way of saying that this cancer cell has DNA that is unstable and has not repaired itself and has promoted the growth of further cancer cells. And the reason it's important to test for MSI high or DMMR, they both tell similar things, just different ways to test it, is because that helps identify whether immune checkpoint inhibitor-based therapy is eligible for a patient in the second line or later setting. Now, additional biomarkers we look at, we mentioned HER2, that's specifically testing your serous carcinoma patients to see if they're eligible to add that trastuzumab to carboplatin paclitaxel-based chemotherapy. We also look to see if the patient's estrogen receptor positive. Now, Graham, that usually comes in later down the line for your lower grade endometrioid histologies. Patients that have low tumor volume, very indolent growing cancers where you can wait for the, endo the endocrine therapy to work in that tumor setting. Now, also biomarkers to consider evaluating are tumor mutational burden. That might help select if a patient's tumor mutational burden high and they have not used an immune checkpoint inhibitor. Pembrolizumab may be an option for those patients with a tumor mutational burden of 10 mutations per megabase or higher. That's typically found on your next generation sequencing testing. And some may test for NTREC gene fusion, although that is extremely rare. But it's really important to note that biomarker-directed testing is key in endometrial carcinoma because what can it do? It can promote timely treatment of the appropriate targeted therapeutic for cancer patients. And if we get that cancer patient on the right treatment fast, then we can decrease inappropriate spend because you're controlling the cancer better, sooner, faster. So let's talk about treatment options that are available for second line management uh, endometrial uh, carcinoma. You got it. So think of second line treatments, unfortunately, after the patient has progressed on that first line, that plan A that you had for the patient. So second line in the past was always chemotherapy again. But nowadays that we're in this era of precision medicine, second line treatment standardly consists of immune checkpoint inhibitor-based therapy unless there is a contraindication to doing so. Additional options though, should a patient not be eligible for an immune checkpoint inhibitor do consist of cabozantinib or single agent chemotherapy, possibly paclitaxel or doxorubicin, may even use single agent bevacizumab in this setting. But your immune checkpoint inhibitors, whether monotherapy or pembrolizumab in combination with lenvatinib are your go-tos in the second line setting. There you said it. You opened a door, Laura. You said immune checkpoint inhibitors. So which immune checkpoint inhibitors play an active role in management of, of this cancer and in what setting? You got it. So this is the exciting era of immunotherapy, really leveraging that immune system to now fight off the cancer and try to eradicate it as much as we can. So in this setting, we can use single agent immune checkpoint inhibitor, either pembrolizumab, dostarlimab, nivolumab, or avelumab are all supported by NCCN's guidelines and compendium, 
or you could use pembrolizumab in combination with lenvatinib. Now, how do you pick? When do you use which agent? I'll unpack that a little bit more for you. So the combination therapy, your pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib, that is MCCN preferred in patients that are not MSI high or not DMMR. So another way to say that is if you run the test and the patient is microsatellite stable or the patient is proficient in mismatch repair gene, meaning they don't have that instability of their DNA repair mechanism. Well, in those patients that have received prior systemic therapy for recurrent metastatic endometrial carcinoma or systemic therapy in any setting for that case, then pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib is an option to consider. Our data for this regimen comes from the Keynote 775 confirmatory clinical trial that identified an improved progression-free survival and an improved overall survival in that patient population that was not MSI high and not DMMR. Then when we look to single agent immune checkpoint inhibitor, these are therapies we turn to more if that patient is MSI high or they are DMMR deficient that mismatch repair gene. So to go through those four single agent immune checkpoint inhibitor options, first, if we think of the pembrolizumab, well, this therapy is NCCN preferred in that setting after prior systemic therapy for your endometrial carcinoma patients that are recurrent or metastatic that are MSI high or DMMR. Now data comes from the Keynote 158 clinical trial, which is an open label phase two study that did demonstrate an objective response rate, which is a shrinking of the tumor of 30% or more of 48%. So that means nearly one in two patients had shrinking of their tumor with the use of pembrolizumab in that second line setting of MSI high or DMMR endometrial cancer that is advanced. You can also turn towards pembrolizumab in patients that have no available systemic therapy options and are tumor mutational burden high and have not received an immune checkpoint inhibitor, but more commonly, we're gonna use your immune checkpoint inhibitor in the second line setting. Then further along, we have dostarlamab as your second immune checkpoint inhibitor in advanced endometrial carcinoma setting. And this therapy received accelerated approval by the FDA in April of 2021 for reoccurring metastatic endometrial carcinoma that has progressed on platinum-based chemotherapy in that patient setting that is DMMR or MSI high specifically. Now, data supporting dostarlamab single agent comes with the GARNET trial. Now, this is a phase one trial that demonstrated an objective response rate or shrinking of the tumor in 45.5% of patients that are DMMR, now also used in MSI high, think of them as synonymous. Then when we go down further down the line, NCCN does extrapolate and expand access to two additional immune checkpoint inhibitors that off-label that are not currently FDA approved in this setting, but support off-label per NCCN. First is nivolumab, which is supported in your second line or layer DMMR MSI high endometrial cancer that is advanced, supported by a very small study, the NCI match that included 13 patients 
and found response in five out of those 13 patients with the objective response rate of 38%. Similarly, Avelumab in that same patient population, second line DMMR, MSI high, advanced endometrial carcinoma is supported by NCCN off-label per a small study in 15 endometrial carcinoma patients, which found four out of the 15 or total 27% of that patient population had an objective response rate or shrinking of their tumor. So all in all, we think is the patient DMMR or MSI high? Okay, if yes, then we typically turn towards monotherapy immune checkpoint inhibitor, pembrolizumab's NCCM preferred, dostarlamab is also FDA approved, nivolumab or avelumab supported by NCCN off-label, then if you do that testing and the patient is not MSI high or not DMMR, then the NCCM preferred regimen is lenvatinib added to that pembrolizumab. Whew, that's a lot. Yes, and as you're talking, Laura, I'm immediately thinking of toxicities and how the, the balance of the expertise that's coming from pharmacists that are really digging into this they're going to make a difference and th that excites me. So wait a second. So what are some of the um, the differences, the nuances associated with immune checkpoint inhibitors in this specific setting? You got it. As you mentioned, the toxicities, they're very different than chemotherapy. These immune checkpoint inhibitors can cause inflammation as it's activating those T cells of the immune system to go fight the cancer. Those T cells can infiltrate almost any organ in the body and cause inflammation, typically seen as an itis. If they get in the lungs, pneumonitis, in the liver, hepatitis, you might see the LFTs rise. So now as pharmacists, we have to be keen on different types of toxicities with these immune checkpoint inhibitors. Be very cognizant of what our patients may express as side effects, catch them early as possible. And the most common treatment is typically your corticosteroids. Now, if it's hypothyroidism, we may use our levothyroxine. But beyond the toxicity nuances of these agents, there's nuances for the managed care pharmacy population. And those nuances really include a, a lack of data, number one, of using an immune checkpoint inhibitor after the patient has progressed on one. So as I mentioned, these agents are standard of care second line advanced endometrial carcinoma, but what happens when the tumor progresses? Sometimes we see oncologists wanna try another immune checkpoint inhibitor. Well, they all have a similar mechanism of action, a break in that signal so the immune system fights the cancer. So unfortunately right now we have a lack of data to support that an immune checkpoint inhibitor will be effective for a second round use or after the tumor has progressed on another immune checkpoint inhibitor. So that's definitely a nuance that we run into because then you might turn more towards chemotherapy or cabozantinib in that third line or later setting. But then the last one I wanna mention is the biggest one I would say is nuances. Those biomarkers I mentioned can be so confusing for pharmacists. And as we talked about, pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib is typically used in patients that are not DMMR or not MSI high. Well, there's confusion because we might see in clinical practice that oncologists want to use that doublet therapy in patients that are DMMR. 
or are MSI high? And then you scratch your head and you say, well, that's not the FDA approval. Well, the challenge is the Keynote 775 clinical trial did include a small patient population. It was only about 16% of patients that were DMMR. And when you looked at the study results, they looked at all comers, meaning irrespective of the biomarker, and they did find a progression-free survival benefit and an overall survival benefit in all comers. But I do scratch my head and say, was that really driven by that larger 84% patient population that did not have that biomarker representation. And it may have been. So while the FDA approval is only for pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib today in patients that are not PMMR or not MSI high, and that is also how NCCN supports the therapy, we do see clinicians wanting to use this in patients that do have that biomarker expression, which can at times be supported by the New England Journal of Medicine publication of Keynote 775, although the data is very limited. So at times I have requests for prior authorization and there's no biomarker available for the endometrial carcinoma patient and they want pembrolizumab plus lenfatinib and you scratch your head and you say, it does matter. I need the biomarker because if that patient is MSI high or DMMR, do they need the doublet therapy? Why not give them single agent pembrolizumab, which is FDA supported and NCCN supported in previously treated advanced endometrial carcinoma that is DMMR or MSI high. Similar conundrum with those starlimab as data was presented at ASCO recently in patients that were actually the opposite where they did not have that biomarker. So these were patients that were microsatellite stable or proficient in mismatch repair gene. So the opposite of what we are discussing with pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib. And they found that in those patients that did not have that biomarker expression, they had an objective response rate or shrinking of the tumor of 15%. So there has been question in the community is dostarlimab now an option in all comers, meaning irrespective of biomarker, even though it's only FDA approved in patients that are MSI high or DMMR. And it's really unknown because we don't have data published in a CMS supported journal to support dostarlimab irrespective of biomarker. Data is published in the Journal of Immunotherapy Cancer, which unfortunately is not a CMS-supported journal. So in patients who are proficient in mismatch repair gene who do not have that DMMR, you know, it's really combination therapy with pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib is recommended. If the patient can't tolerate that doublet, should they turn to single agent dostarlimab? Well, that's really unknown at this time on whether that's reasonable or not. So needs to be further evaluated in clinical trials. Excellent, and the combinations determine and the determination of our pharmacists, this is, it's, it's exciting. Hey, I'm about to turn this podcast sideways because we're gonna be pulling away from the clinical. I'm gonna be shifting into, you know, the whole managed care environment and the stress that that brings on our patients. Also the stress of our pharmacists, cause you have got to be able to shift gears too. And now you've become this financial, you know, care provider and cost provider. That's so important to care, access to care and cost of care, the effectiveness of these, um, these novel, very expensive treatments. So Laura, given 
the high financial burden of cancer treatment and what managed care strategies can be leveraged and your experience combined with that, this kind of a support and high quality cost-effective care, where do we guide our patients? Got it. And that's such a powerful question because people really need to pay attention to the financial toxicity of cancer care. If our patients cannot afford the therapy, all of these scientific advances and clinical trials I just discussed are futile. They have no relevance to helping that patient and their cancer and their given moment of their disease. So we really need to ensure that our patients can access the therapy. Also from a financial standpoint, we need to be good stewards of healthcare dollars and support high quality cost-effective care. And just to add numbers to make this more real for you all, if we're talking single agent immune checkpoint inhibitor, we're talking about over $14,000 a month baseline typically just for the drug alone for that cancer care. And when we talk about pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib, now you're adding an additional $25,000 a month for a total in excess of $39,000 a month. So we really need to make sure that we are using these therapies appropriately and where they can benefit our patients most so that the patients that are paying for this costly therapy, they can hopefully derive that benefit that we really want them to see from these therapies. So let me shift gears as we talked about, put my managed care hat on mm -hmm. and talk about some traditional utilization management tools. So from the payer perspective, what we're thinking is how can we ensure that this therapy is being prescribed in a high quality cost effective manner. Well, tools that we leverage, number one tool typically is prior authorization. You might be saying, oh no, not prior authorization. Well, we can actually leverage it today to do good. Take those standard of care cases, fly them through technology, through EPA as fast as possible and let clinicians focus on those complex cancer cases. So make sure that the therapy is supported that that patient has the appropriate biomarker to elicit a response. As we talked about all this MSI high, DMMR, well, we need to see that biomarker to evaluate if the patient is appropriate for monotherapy versus doublet therapy with immune checkpoint inhibitor-based therapy. So prior authorization really is key in this setting. Additional tools include post-service code edits that might be used on the back end to make sure that therapy build is being billed for the appropriate diagnosis, the appropriate dose and frequency. Quantity limits might also be in place for oral drugs like lenvatinib. Now, quantity limits are more just a safeguard to make sure that therapy is not being prescribed in a higher quantity that might be higher than an FDA-approved dose, might be high on the toxicity scale for a patient. Just more of a safeguard from that standpoint. Payers also implement reauthorization criteria, meaning when you come for a subsequent prior authorization for a reauth of a therapy the patient has been on prior, make sure that the patient has not progressed on that therapy. Because if the cancer is progressing, then we need to change gears, switch to another systemic therapy. And then some payers may implement split fill programs for oral drugs like lenvatinib, where they prescribe only say a 14 to 16 day supply for the first month to make sure the patient can tolerate that. That's not a widely accepted 
model just because it might lead to delays in getting the therapy to the patient, although it is used at times. And just to touch on novel oncology management strategies, some payers might leverage clinical oncology pathways, which are a subset of guideline-derived treatment protocols that are selected. These are high-quality, cost-effective regimens and incentivize providers to use on-pathway therapies. And they might also use site-of-care steerage in certain settings to steer therapy to more cost-effective settings, whether it might be in the home or the community oncology-based setting. So many novel managed care tools might be applied in the oncology setting. Laura, I talk to pharmacists all the time, uh, which is why I love my job so much. And um, your empathy and the care that you're providing it, there's a stress to it. And I hear that stress in the voices of these pharmacists when they say, my patient can't get access to care. They can't get the access. So there's a lot of experience and creativity that comes with that. So how can managed care pharmacists really help to expand access to, to these therapies? You got it. And that's really an important question because on the managed care side, you got to leverage your knowledge of coverage determinations and how to get that insurance coverage to do good. So I think the managed care pharmacist has two main roles. You know, one, ensure the therapy is according to evidence-based medicine as it's being prescribed. And two, look to make sure that therapy is cost-effective and high quality for the patient. And then three, to think to expand access I think of a few key things in my head. You know, number one, make sure that your coverage policies are up to date. Your prior authorization criteria is up to date so that you aren't inappropriately denying the latest cancer therapy for a patient because you just were too behind in times in your coverage criteria. This is oncology. Treatment changes almost every week. So that's very important to keep that up to date. And then also, as managed care pharmacists, we need to do good for our patients to expand access. And one of the best ways I think we can do that is leverage all of your sources for coverage determination. Don't just look at your policy for the payer. You know, don't just look at NCCN's compendium. But if that therapy is not listed in those areas, do more. Look in PubMed, do a literature search, because we do have scientific literature that can support insurance coverage. And we even see after big cancer meetings like ASCO, we see key studies published in full text in large journals like New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of Clinical Oncology. And those studies can support off-label insurance coverage, even if the therapy is not in NCCN. So that can help gain access right there. And then just lastly, the biomarkers are so key. So as a pharmacist, we don't have to just stay in our lanes and focus on the drugs, focus on the total patient. If you're looking at the patient's planned treatment and you don't see that they have tested for MMR or MSI in the endometrial cancer patient, why not? Ask the oncologist, probe, go dive deeper to do good for our patient because the response and the result of those biomarkers can really derive 
therapy that is targeted for our patient and can derive the most benefit for that patient. So we need to make sure they're on the right therapy and we need as pharmacists to know about these biomarkers, look for them and ask questions if they're not there because maybe you can gain access to care by reminding a physician that this needs to be tested. Ah, if they are MSI high, I have a drug for that that can help this patient. You know, another aspect of this is being able to kind of give our pharmacist updates on what's what's coming, uh, some of the new stuff. So what are the newer treatments under investigation, um, you know, for this type of cancer and, and, and things that are that are might be changing, too? So share it with us. You got it. I would say the biggest thing that is coming down the pipeline is moving these immune checkpoint inhibitors to the frontline setting, to the first line setting of recurrent or metastatic endometrial carcinoma. So there are multiple clinical trials underway. We have the NRG GY018 trial looking to add pembrolizumab to carboplatin plus paclitaxel, frontline chemotherapy. We have the Ruby trial that's looking to add dostarlimab to carboplatin and paclitaxel chemotherapy. And then also on the maintenance side, when you're continuing the dostarlimab and you've completed the chemotherapy, they also have an arm that adds a PARP inhibitor, niraparib, as maintenance to the dostarlimab in that Ruby trial. So we look for data on that coming up. We also have the LEAP001 clinical trial that is looking to have a completion date next year of 2023, hopefully we'll have results, looking to move that pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib, so a chemotherapy-free option to the frontline setting, studying that versus our gold standard carboplatin plus paclitaxel. Excellent, thank you so much. I, we always have to end our podcast. I, I could talk to you for another hour, but we gotta, we gotta go. You pharmacists are busy. So what would you say is the single most important takeaway for our pharmacists listening in? You got it. I can just say, go the extra mile for our patients. Make sure those appropriate biomarkers have been tested in these advanced endometrial carcinoma patients. We aren't here to just, you know, breeze over care. We're here to make sure our patients are on the most effective therapy that can provide them the most benefit, hopefully give them more time with their family. So to do so, we need to make sure that we are using biomarker guided therapy appropriately. And that, you know, the basics, go to the basics, make sure those biomarkers are even tested in the patient so that we can get them on the right care. Lara, thank you so much. Um, we appreciate everything that you're doing and what you're doing to to set standards and standards of care for pharmacy care. Thank you so much to our pharmacists. Thank you to our PTCE Pharmacy Connect listeners. Please find all their content at pharmacytimes.org. And um, we look forward to our next one. Thank you, Lara. Thank you. Pleasure being with you, Todd. Thanks for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about. Go to pharmacytimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.